Father, we thank you for this time together and we thank you again for the blessings that we've received. Lord, we recognize that you are the giver of all good gifts. This morning, Lord, we invite you to open up our eyes, our hearts that we might receive from you. Give us understanding. uh, Give us wisdom. Give us your insight. And Lord, we'll give you the praise and the glory for all that you've done. In the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray all of these things according to your riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Revelation, chapter 1. The book of Revelation, chapter 1. I also wanted to make mention to you that um, on the 14th of August, uh, our long-range planning committee that uh, many of you know back in June we voted to uh, hire an architect and to go and uh, put some plans together and to bring those back to us uh, for a future uh, future building that we would potentially do. And so they're going to bring those back, and we will, we will vote on that. And uh, so I just want to give you that heads up. And so in the weeks to come, if you have questions, if you have thoughts and comments, uh, we'll have elders and, and other members of the committee in the back. And um, so just wanted you to be aware that they are bringing those things back and uh, we will look at those and then vote on that on August the 14th. On August 7th, we'll have that where you can uh, actually see kind of the, the rough sketch of what we have. And so, uh, again, we would love to get feedback and comments, and uh, they'll be bringing that on August the 14th. Now, we're going to be in arguably the most controversial book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 1. Matter of fact, if you Google Revelation, just that word, um, and I didn't count them, so I want to go ahead and make that disclaimer right now. If you Google it, I read a guy who said there are 12 million pages that come up under Google for Revelation. That's a lot. Uh, and I, so I didn't even try to count them. Uh, I could tell that there were a, a whole lot. And it's as a controversial book, a lot of people have a lot of opinions, a lot of different ideas, a lot of thoughts about it. But it's something that we hear a lot about in the end times. Uh, something that we're frequently hearing about. Matter of fact, there was the in 1947, there was something called the Doomsday Clock that was produced that basically uh, on a 24 hour clock is a countdown to the end of the world. Uh, and this was not a group of Christians. This was a group of scientists who kind of determined that they thought that would be the end of the world. And a uh, matter of fact, they adjusted it back in 2002. And we currently have about four minutes left uh, on that clock right now. And, you know, and a lot of people make proclamations. You've heard of it. There are a lot of Forgive me for saying there's a lot of yo-yos out there who are making proclamations about when Jesus is going to come and how the, the world's going to end. And, you know, we had Harold Camping who just came out and said, you know, it's going to happen. It's going to happen on May 21st. Jesus is coming back. You know, he's going to take three percent of the population. You're going to see the great earthquakes. Well, then, uh, you know, came and, and he goes, I missed that. It's going to be October. Get ready. It's coming in October. And uh, matter of fact, I read there were 243 Public written accounts of people who predicted the end of the world, just in the United States, 243 uh, that have happened over the history of our country here, 243 different dates that have been proclaimed that this is the day that the world will end. Well, here's the one problem with it. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, uh, as to the day or the hour, you know not. No man knows. So the only thing they've done is they've proven it's not going to happen on that day when they say something like that. OK, I, I remember when I moved here in 1988. Uh, there, Wizenhut, this guy named Wizenhut had written a book called 88 Reasons, uh, that Jesus will come, uh, in 1988. 
And he had narrowed it down to between September the 11th and the 13th. And I was literally moving my stuff here. Uh, I remember on the September 13th, you know, coming into Dallas and seeing this big haze. And it was nighttime. And, and I, I just remember that my, in my brain. I go, well, I'm coming to seminary for nothing if this is, this is the day. And I was pretty sure it wasn't. But we keep seeing that. People keep coming out with these times. But the bottom line is we don't know. But we need to be ready. We need to be ready. Psychics don't know. Matter of fact, I think a good joke to play on those guys is to call up sometime one of those psychic hotlines and they'll say, who is this? And I don't know. You tell me. You're the psychic. I, I always wanted to do that. I've never done that before. But we have this fascination with people uh, with knowing the future and with people who think they know the future. But what we know is that Jesus is coming and the book of Revelation is about Jesus Christ and it tells of his return. Now, I want to give us a little, I want to give you a little bit of technical information before we get into it. And I want to give you a book uh, that I would encourage you, if you're interested in this, to read. And it's, it's not a light of heart book, but it, it will help you understand the different positions uh, on our, this big term eschatology, which means end times. It'll help you understand it. It's called, um, Revelation Made Easy by Kenneth Gentry. Now, he really doesn't make it that easy, uh, but what it does do is it gives you the information. It kind of clearly presents the information to you, and uh, you can think about it. There are obviously uh, multiple positions, but he takes the primary positions and kind of walks you through it. And so uh, that uh, you can order that online. You can go into any Christian bookstore, and, uh, and we'll probably have a few of them. I tried to order them myself, but uh, I tried to order a large, large quantity, and then they came back and said, well, those, uh, we're not going to be able to get that many for you right now. So... Um, I will have those one day, but if you'd like to go ahead and get those and start reading ahead, we'll be looking at this later on in a few weeks. Uh, we'll be looking at Revelation in a little bit more depth, but I wanted to give you some time to think about it and begin to uh, just kind of uh, marinate a little bit before we get there and encourage you to begin to read at least the first five chapters of the book of Revelation. Now, when we, when we look at the Bible uh, and we look at uh, kind of history of mankind, we look at the theology uh, that God has set forth, it really can bro be broken down into five pillars of God's plan. The first one, of course, is creation. God creates the heavens, the earth, mankind is created. Uh, and really, I should have just said mankind instead of man and mankind, but you understand what's, what's being said there. Uh, secondly, Israel. Uh, God elected Israel to be the primary mechanism which he would shine forth his glory. And Israel was meant to be a nation that would literally draw men and women to, to know Yahweh God because of the blessings upon Israel. Number three, the messianic coming. Uh, it had been prophesied in the Old Testament that Jesus would come or the Messiah would come. And then, of course, Jesus does come. He conquers sin and death and, and begins a new covenant, a covenant of grace, because he takes the sacrifice through his perfect and atoning blood. No other sacrifice is now necessary because Jesus has given himself as a sacrifice for us. Uh, fourth one is the church uh, through Jesus, death, burial and resurrection uh, through uh, the salvation that he's offered, the church is born, and now the, it is to be the primary instrument in which people come to know Christ through the church, through the body of Christ, the believers. And then lastly, the final judgment will come. And the book of Revelation tells us about the final about how the final judgment will come and that it will come about. It's a fact. 
So as we look at that, I think that's important to know. The principal message of Revelation is this, the glorification of Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus and about what Jesus is going to do. And through it, we see these major themes. We see uh, God is sovereign. Uh, we see the sovereignty of God, that God is controlled. Number two, that Christ will come again. Number three, he will come and he will call to heaven the believers, living and dead. And number four, judgment will come. There will be a day of judgment for everyone. So when we're looking at any book in the Bible, it's imperative, I think, that we ask some questions, that we understand a little background. The who, what, when, where, why, those questions are very important, I think, particularly when we're looking at a book like this. So let's start right there with who. Now, who wrote this book? Well, almost unanimously, people would recognize that it's John. The disciple John has written this book. He wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and now we have the book of Revelation. So he's a person of high, um, of high value, of high respect, of high regard. He was an eyewitness account to Jesus Christ, and now uh, he has written this book because it's given to him uh, through the Spirit of Christ. When was it written? Well, that's a big question. When was it written? Uh, scholars are kind of over the board on that. It was written somewhere between 60 and 95 A.D. You may be looking at your Bible this morning. And you go, well, my Bible right here says it says 95 A.D., so that's it. I, I would just remind you that while the Scripture, everything that's written under those titles, is infallible, that's the Bible, our dating is not infallible, okay? And those little commentaries they write up there in the front, those aren't, those aren't infallible either. You know, we just kind of made those up in the last few years and I say made them up. Those, those were not given to us with the Bible, the little commentary and the little notes you have, okay? They're great insights and I'm glad that we have them. Uh, but just remember, the dating that you see in your Bible is not infallible. So, so many, most would, would give a late date between 90 and 96 AD for this book. Uh, but there, there's a strong contingency of people and scholars who would date it uh, in the mid-60s. And one of the reasons they do that is give that date in the mid-60s is because then if you look at those few, first few chapters and even further in that, uh, then there can be a, a case made that much of this is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, which is to come. So it was either probably it was either during the, the reign of Nero where Christian Christianity is experiencing persecution or if it's a later date, it's under the reign of Domitian. So, again, there are two dates that are given there. Uh, so we talked about the who we've talked about the when talk about where 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 did this occur? Well, John's on the island of Patmos at this time. And I used to think as a kid, that's John got a pretty good deal there. The other guys got killed and John got to go to the island. Uh, problem is, is this is an intense labor camp prison. OK. So uh, think more uh, kind of Holocaust prisons uh, would probably be a better way to think about it because it's so difficult for us to even imagine uh, what it'd be like this time. But that's where John is. And John, uh, what happens while he's there? Well, he receives a revelation. Uh, the Bible says in the spirit. Now, this is this has happened before. We see it in the book of Acts with Paul. We see it in the book of Acts with Peter, where he receives a vision as well. And why? Why has this come about? Well, because the church is beginning to, to be, I say beginning, is experienced persecution, and that persecution is going to become more and more intense. Uh, so, if we understand those questions, that helps us a little bit when we start to look at the scripture and at the passage here. Now, uh, some positions, I think, are some terms, I think, that are good for us to know. 
Um, you know, let's let's go to the other one and we'll come right back to this unless we have to be on this one. Yeah. Uh, terminology. First of all, millennium. That's actually not a word that's found in the Bible, but it simply means the thousand year reign It's found in the book of Revelations, chapter 20, verse four through six. Then there's a position called preterism. If I'm a pure preterist, uh, I would say, you know what? All the book, all of Revelation, pretty much that all already occurred. They would be, that's why they would go back and they would date it and say, this is probably uh, written in the mid-60s. And the things that you're looking at, these are things that have already historically occurred. Now, some would be partial preterists. Partial preterists would say, you know, at least the first four chapters, uh, and probably much more than that, uh, has already occurred. It's already historically occurred. There are some things, probably at the end of the book, uh, that are still left for the future. Uh, if, I'm a, if I take a... A historic position or a historical position, uh, a person attempts to take the time of Christ till now and kind of place those events historically. Some of those things happen. Some of these things are happening. Some of these things will happen. And a futurist, if in a purist form, and not ever, many people don't take this, but some futurists, if they're a uh, almost a hyper futurist, they'd say, you know, this is all about the future. Some, even the first four chapters, are literally a picture of what's to come. And then the idealists would look at the book and say, you know what, I believe there are principles and there's symbols and there's uh, poetic symbolism that is true for today and for all ages. So it's not for a specific time or place. It's for the church throughout all uh, the ages. And it is a message of uh, good overcoming evil throughout history. So those are the different positions. I know that's a lot to throw out at you. Also, you have in your bulletin, you have a little chart there. And these are just the four major major positions in eschatology. There are actually more than that. Uh, but these are the four that probably get the most press and would be the most uh, prominent four. Uh, dispensational premillennialism, historical premillennialism, amillennialism, which basically means there is no millennial uh, period. And then postmillennium, that Christ uh, that basically the, the coming would be after the millennial. And it kind of has a list of questions and things you see. And then there the two at the bottom uh, are just a distinguishing difference between dispensational premillennialism and um, uh, basically historical premillennialism. And the one big thing you'll probably notice, and there, there are multiple differences, uh, but a big difference that most people would notice is that uh, if you're a historical premillennialist, you don't believe that there's going to be a rapture and then... Christ is going to come again. Believe it all takes place at one time. So the rapture and the coming of Christ, that all happens at one time. So that's one of the big differences with historical premillennialism. Again, I would invite you, if you're intrigued by this, I invite you to pick up Gentry's book and read that. And that'll help you understand those positions in much more detail and give you a good background to understanding where they're coming from. Okay. Well, with all that, let's look at the book of Revelation. Chapter one. Let's jump in and look at Revelations chapter one for a few moments here. <clears throat> and again, as John is writing, the word revelation is used 18 times in the New Testament. Almost all of them are found in this book here in Revelation. The the, the revealing um, is basically what uh, this book is about, the revealing of Jesus Christ. We see that mentioned right here in the first few words, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart when it is written. When what is written in it, because the time is near. 
if you'll notice, he makes several references to about something's about to happen. Now, if I was a preterist, or if I'm looking at this from the stand, an early dating standpoint, I'm saying, you know what, this has probably uh, been written in the mid-60s, then it would be very easy to say, you know what, he's talking about the destruction of the temple that will come in 70 AD. So he's, he's talking about just a few years away, that's going to happen, Rome's going to come in, and they're just going to demolish Jerusalem. The temple's going to be destroyed. So many would take that position. But there's, an, there's also another way to look at it. He says here, and he said, because the time is near. How am I to understand that? Well, in the Greek right here, the word used is not chronos. Now, chronos is a Greek word that is the way that we do time. Like if you're looking at a clock, it's going to be 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock or a specific date. That would be the word chronos. But the word used here actually is, is a karyos. And it is actually uh, the way times defined there is an era. There's an era that's coming. There's an era that is near. So, again, um, you can look at it a couple of different ways, but we know this. We know that something is going to happen for those who were, who were there at that time. When they look at when Scripture was written, I, I do want to say this. When the book of Revelation was written, I, I think it would be a, a mistake to say, you know what? The Re- book of Revelation, that was really a book for us. Those people, it really wasn't written for them. Really wasn't written for those seven churches. Really wasn't written for the people that... Those poor guys, they really didn't get much out of this. I I don't think that was the case at all. Matter of fact, Abraham Heschel, who is a Jewish scholar, talks about prophecy in this matter. He said, when you see prophecy in the Bible, it had a specific meaning for a specific group of people for that specific time. But the amazing thing about the Word of God and prophecy is that it is so powerful that it that it basically marches throughout eternity, that it continued to has to have power and meaning even into the future, because that's the power of God's word. Matter of fact, Dr. William Bell over at uh, Dallas Baptist, uh, Dallas Baptist College or University. Now, um, I had a chance to send her his teaching for a while. He said there's a there's basically an interpretation when you look at passages like Matthew 24 and you look at the back book of Revelation and when you look at these books, he said, you have to understand it in this, in this manner. He said, there, it's kind of like looking at mountaintops. If you're on top of a mountain and you see all these mountaintops, it looks like they're all right here together. But in reality, there are valleys in between each one. And he said, when you, when you look at interpretations of prophecy, you need to recognize uh, that when they're writing apocalyptic literature, particularly in Ezekiel and Revelation, it, uh, it'll certainly be for an immediate historical purpose. But he said they'll jump back and forth. That was kind of a common practice in apocalyptic literature, that it wouldn't all be about a distant future, but it would go back and forth. So that's important for us to read, because in our Western minds, we just we want to see everything in order. We want to see that in chronological order. And it just wasn't written that way. Not to mention uh, that you've got terms and symbols that are being written for letters that are being sent out from a prison that if they're taken, uh, the Romans or whoever are not going to understand exactly what it is. So uh, there's a little bit of reason uh, for uh, some mystery by this just by its practical nature. So we continue here. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia. So we know this is being sent to the seven churches here in Asia, and those seven churches are going to be listed. And we're going to look at those seven churches later on at the end of August. And so we're going to look at these letters, and, and they received these letters, and they were meant to be read aloud to the churches. 
at that time. Grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and is to come. Matter of fact, right here in this little doxology, we see the Trinity occur. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who was, and is to come, from God the Father, and from the seven spirits before his throne. We're talking about the Holy Spirit, that number seven. Remember, we talked about the symbolism. It's not talking about seven different spirits. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. The number seven is always used as a number of completion, of wholeness. So we see the Father, the Son, and then he says, and from Jesus Christ. So we see God. Who is God? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. He continues here. And he said, who is a faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the king of kings to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. What is he talking about? This is Jesus freed us by his blood. How did he do that? By dying on the cross, his blood covered our sins because the Bible said there could be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. Christ in his perfect nature came and gave himself as a sacrifice. His blood covers and atones. So. Jesus is being spoken of here. And he said, has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve God as our father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So we've been made a kingdom and we've been made priest. Why are we understood to be priest? Well, the reason we're understood to be priest, because if you remember in the Old Testament, uh, the high priest was one who would uh, act on behalf of the, the people. And the priest would present that message to the people. Okay, and that's how God primarily spoke in the Old Testament. But now, through Jesus Christ, who has become our high priest, we now can't have direct access to God Almighty through Christ. We are as priests. Um, and you're, again, who's John writing to? He's writing primarily to people who were, uh, many of them who had been Jews and had, wouldn't, had that historical background. He continues here, and he says, Look, he is coming. Excuse me, let me finish that. And to him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Talking about the present. And then he talks about the future. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him, even those who have rejected them. All the people of the earth will mourn because of him. Those who know him because of his glory will be in repentance. Those who don't know him uh, because of the mistake that they will have made. And then you see Jesus speaking here. I am the Alpha and Omega. I am omniscient, says the Lord God, who is and was and is to come. I am omnipresent. I have, he is eternal. He has always been. And I am almighty, omnipotent. And I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on this island of Patmos because the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. On the Lord's Day, which most would interpret as uh, Sunday, I was in the spirit, as we talked about earlier, and I heard from behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. And then he lists the seven churches. Now, do I think this is an exhaustive list of all the churches that existed in that day. No, it's not an exhaustive list, but it was these the seven churches that he sent in a letter to, which they would have had influence over other churches. Remember that number seven of completion? I believe these were the specific ones, and then the message would spread from there. And then he lists the churches here. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. 
And I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned around, I saw seven golden lampstands. Now, we know as we get to the end of this chapter, the seven golden lampstands are those seven churches. And among them, the lampstands, was someone like the Son of Man. This is a prevalent term used for Jesus Christ. Dressed in a robe, reaching down his feet with a golden sash around his chest. Uh, that's the garb of a high priest. He continues here. His head and his hair were like wool and as white as snow. His eyes were blazing like a fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in the furnace. And his voice was like the sound of the rushing waters. And in his right hand, he held the seven stars. And out of his mouth came a double-edged sword. Speaking the word of God is sharper than a double-edged sword. His face was like the sun and shining in brilliance. His glory. Uh, matter of fact, in the Old Testament, it's called the Shekinah glory. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. This is Jesus speaking. I am the living one. Jesus reaffirms John. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will be taking place later. I want you to know, I want you to write some things that are going to be happening right now in the immediate, uh, immediate future. They're going to be happening very, very soon. And then there's some other things that are going to be coming later on, as we talked about a while ago. He continues on and he says, The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven gold lampstands is this. Now he's going to tell us what the stars are and what the lampstands are. Okay, Jesus is going to tell us. So he makes it very clear, very easy for us. He says right here, he says, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now, there's a little bit of debate on what the seven stars are. Some people say they're literally angels. Each church has an angel. Well, that's all well and good, and that's fine if you want to take that position, but did the angels really need a letter sent to them? I mean, they're already serving God. I, most scholars would say that the, the term used here for angels is messengers. That's what how it's termed. That's what they are. They're messengers. So it's not always every time you see the word angel doesn't mean it's a literal angel. It could be uh, the pastor or the elder of the church, the leader of the church. And that's would be kind of the common interpretation. So uh, to the set, basically saying here. Uh, the seven stars are the leaders of the church, are the pastors of the seven churches, and the lampstands are the seven churches. Now, what am I to glean from all this today? And, and again, I want to encourage you to start to read slowly through the book of Revelation. I encourage you to pick up that book that I mentioned by Gentry. And uh, you can also, you probably have some commentaries at home you can begin to read. And I want you to start thinking about it. But what is the message for us today? What am I to take away from this today? Well, here are a few things. Number one, the second coming of Christ. Jesus is coming. He's coming back. He's made that abundantly clear, and he will make it even more clear as you go throughout this book. Number two, sin and death will be no more. We, we read that earlier in that passage, that he holds the keys over sin and death and over eternity. Number three, creation will be, as you read through the book of Revelation, creation will be remade. The earth that we live on now, 
uh, will be reformed. Okay, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And I I take that to mean one place, not that God's going to go make a new heaven up up in the sky and there's going to be a new earth. It's all going to be one. It's going to be a new creation. It will be perfect. Uh, And once he comes back, he will recreate a perfect world, a perfect uh, a perfect place for us to live where we live with him for eternity. And believers uh, who know Christ, the dead and the living, will be called to be with him. And then here's the last thing. Be ready. Be ready. Uh, most of you know I grew up in Louisiana and we had a little small farm and we were always working with that. And I remember one day uh, I was, I think I was only 15. You get your driver's license when you're 15. I had a little little red truck our family did and I, my mom t- sent me to take a message out to my dad. And so I, I drive out there and uh, open the gate and go out in the field and said, told her whatever. And he goes, you know what? He said, I need a truck for just a minute. He said, did you, did you close that gate? And I said, uh, no, I'm going to go right back out. He goes, well, I'm, he said, the cows are going to be coming running. He said, they're going to be coming up here in just a moment. He said, and, uh, he said, I, the dogs are out there. They're going to be chasing. They're going to come run. But you need to run down there and get the gate. He said, I need to take the truck over this way. And so, you know, he got in the truck and drove off. And I'm thinking, hey, great, you take the truck. You know, and so, so I'm walking. I got to walk about, you know, it's about 600, six, 700 yards. It's a good little walk. So I'm walking back. And I'm just taking my time. I see some pecans. I pick them up under the pecan tree. And I'm, I'm cracking pecans and I'm looking at those, you know, and I'm just, I'm just not in a hurry because I know my dad's not coming back anytime soon. And I'm not worried about those cows coming out. They're not going to come running this way. And, and if they do, I'll get ahead of them. And, I'm bit over literally cracking pecans, and I hear this thunder behind me. There's about 18 cattle. They're just running past. I start to take off, and I'm not catching them. And they go out the gate, and I'm in trouble. <laughs> and it wasn't because I didn't. It wasn't because I didn't know. I'd been told to close the gate. I knew how to close the gate. I knew that the cattle would eventually come, but I thought I could get ahead of them. I thought I was in control. I thought I had plenty of time, but I didn't. And because of that, there was a consequence. I won't share that consequence with you. It's not pleasant. You know, and there's just a picture of the message, I think, for us today. God has made it clear in his word that Jesus is coming again. And the way that we can know the salvation of the Lord is through Jesus Christ, through trusting him, receiving his grace and forgiveness. And we can think that we have plenty of time and we can get ahead of it and that we're fine or we want to check some other options out or we're just doing our thing right now. But here's the principle. Jesus is coming. Are we ready? And it's not going to be, you're not going to be able to predict it. You're not going to be able to get the date right. You just have to be ready. So there's my question to you today. Are you ready? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that in your infinite mercy and wisdom, you provided Grace upon grace through the person of Jesus Christ to give his life so that our sacrifice, our sins might be forgiven through his sacrifice. Lord, I thank you for the book of Revelation that encourages us to make ourselves ready to make sure that we know Christ and to begin to make the most of the opportunities that you've given us to bring you glory. Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know you today, I pray that you draw them by the power of your spirit, that they might know you as Lord and Savior. And we will give you all the praise and the glory. In your name I pray.